The following program was pre recorded. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists and community builders. I'm Laura Jones. Rashawn Leek and Tamrika Ktisiashvili, the community co host team for Roundtable Tuesdays, they have the night off. Tonight, we bring you conversation with Vicki Chavez. She's been living in sanctuary at First Unitarian Church of Salt Lake City for the last 38 months. And last week, the church joined a lawsuit brought by Chavez and three other sanctuary leaders, as well as immigrant rights advocacy groups, suing immigration and customs enforcement and various officials for targeting the women with what they claim to be retaliatory and excessive civil fines. We'll bring you the press conference they held last week, as well as a fresh interview with Chavez and Joan Gregory, director of the Sanctuary Program at First Unitarian. First, rallies and resources. If you go to our website, krcl.org, and click on Community Affairs, you'll find the Rallies and Resources page where the Radioactive team has collected different events, both virtual and in real life, as well as resources that you might find useful for being a grassroots activist and community builder. You know, good trouble is what we're looking to foster here in our own community with rallies and resources. As we mentioned last night, it is Pride Week at the University of Utah. You can find the full list of events on the rallies and resources page. And don't forget, tomorrow is Transgender Day of Visibility internationally. Radioactive's own Sue Robbins, who hosts the Everyday People edition of the show each and every Monday night at 6, will moderate Beyond the Binary tomorrow from 3 to 4.30 p.m. online. Thursday, there's a statewide virtual job fair starting at 10 a.m. with the Utah Department of Workforce Services. You can meet with employers that are hiring now. You do need to set yourself up an account at jobs.utah.gov. Also Thursday, Trailblazing Women in Science. It's a new Natural History Museum of Utah series. And at 6.30 p.m. online, you'll hear from Dr. Ayana Elizabeth Johnson on the future of ocean conservation. Monday, April 5th, it's the Move Through, 5 to 7 p.m. online, a digital recreation of the original hip-hop opera, We Shall Not Be Moved, followed by an exclusive Q&A session with members of the original cast and creative team. Tickets don't cost you anything, but they are required. You can find a link to get your ticket to the Move Through, which is happening Monday, 5 to 7 p.m. online, on the Rallies and Resources page of krcl.org. It is under the Community Affairs tab, and it also includes resources on rent relief, vaccinations, and more. A couple of news items here. Salt Lake County has announced it will reopen its senior centers beginning April 19th. Salt Lake County Aging Services also recommends visiting slco.org aging and contacting your local senior center to discover which classes and programs are being offered. One more news story with a special guest. Erica George, the Samuel D. Thurman Professor of Law at the S.J. Quinney College of Law up at the University of Utah, where she also directs the Tanner Humanities Center, had an interesting post I saw on social media about an important milestone in the fight to end forced labor. Fifty countries, she says, have now ratified the International Labor Organization Protocol. I zoomed her up and had the following conversation with Professor Erica George. Part of my academic work and life um, advocacy work has been being an international human rights lawyer. And there's a new international law instrument at the International Labor Organization, which regulates and governs in a tripartite way, labor conditions around the world. And one of the challenges that we're increasingly 
bringing attention to and recognizing is that many of the products that we enjoy and consume every day are often connected to forced labor. So there's a move to strengthen the global fight against all forms of forced labor, and that takes an international cooperative collective effort. So there's a new protocol on an existing international law on forced labor, the Forced Labor Convention of 1930. Um, there were gaps in it, and to close those gaps, this protocol is looking to ensure that more is done to prevent and protect people who would be subjected to forced labor. So the milestone is that 50 countries, I'm hoping you'll say yes, that the U.S. has signed on to that and ratified it. The U.S. is not. Either the initial instrument from 1930 or the optional protocol. Um, The United States is not a state party. I just wanted to clarify. So we are a member state of the ILO, but we are not signed on to this protocol, correct? Not this particular protocol, right. So there are multiple ILO protocols. Some deal with the worst forms of child labor. Um, Some deal with factory, health and safety. Um, So the countries can pick and choose which ratifications, which protocols, which instruments they will um, join. And these are two that we have not joined. And the two being specifically the original 1930. and, Mm -hmm. And then what are we calling this addendum? This is the protocol to the forced labor convention. So why, what is the obstacle or the objection from our country to ratifying this new protocol, this existing protocol and its updates? Well, I think it's something that we should um, participate in and ratify, but um, some of the objections are statements that we have domestic labor laws, we have labor laws already that address these issues and more than take care of it, which is not quite the case. So um, by not ratifying what we're doing is failing to endorse as many other countries have the importance of this issue in ways that are meaningful and global and impactful. So there are conversations about human trafficking in the US and modern slavery, but um, there's a gap between our statements and our commitments. We tend to do that. We have a history as a country of doing that, of, of saying as a, as, a, as a planet, we should do X. And then that gets going. And then we say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's what's so disappointing is we were instrumental in creating all of these international institutions. Um, Eleanor Roosevelt crafted significantly with others the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And then when it came time to have binding agreements that are derivative from that aspirational declaration, the United States has shied away. Um, I actually this week was talking about the International Criminal Court in The Hague and how the United States was part of the negotiations to create that court, something that would be a body to ensure that international justice had a place. Um, And then we signed the treaty, the Rome Statute that created that institution, and then we didn't ratify it. And then we later purported to unsign it as a U.S. government. This is both um, political parties that have held office alternatively since the Rome Statute was enacted and ratified by many other countries. So these are institutions and instruments that exist that other nations have embraced, um, but we've taken an approach that's been exceptional, taking exception to these instruments Um. We we tend to say we want a free market to to, to deal with that. We we think that uh, our values are perhaps high. The cynic in me is popping out right now, Professor. I'm telling you. Yeah. 
So um, what what does it mean for the U.S. to not sign on to these, into the ILO protocol in particular right now? First, more generally, what it means when we don't sign on is we're failing to lend our support and solidarity to global efforts to come together to combat a challenge that is international. And in that, I think we miss an opportunity to be among the leading voices that are working to create the kind of change and build better forward a future for workers in the instance of this particular convention, but there are other issues as well, um, including the environment, um, gender-based violence. So there are ways in which we could be doing more, aren't doing enough, and then the inconsistency between public statements without stronger collective commitments that I think will over time erode the credibility that we have as a country as being a light and a leader on these issues. And there's a lot of rebuilding and repair work that needs to be done um, between the United States and our allied countries. When we talk about forced labor, I think that we can see it over there. So can you kind of describe forced labor as it happens around the world and then bring it closer to home for us? Sure, sure. It can happen anywhere, in any industry, and especially in informal economies. Many of the victims, in particular, women and girls. Um, We know about the commercial sexual exploitation of women and girls, but there's also forced labor prevalent in other sectors that impact more of us, such as agriculture and farming, fishing, domestic work, construction, manufacturing. So um, this is a problem of holding women, men, children in situations that are slavery-like in the sense that there's a debt bondage that's difficult or impossible to get out of. Um, I do bristle at the comparisons to chattel slavery. That is not what this is. These are involuntary labor conditions that are difficult to escape, but it isn't the full-on ownership um, Mm -hmm. as a property matter of another person. It's still problematic, and it still impacts many people. Um, and where the promise is, is there's actually something we could potentially do about this yeah. through our purchasing, through our policies, and ultimately through our laws. And that's where we would hope that the free market also would come into play. But why is the free market insufficient to to tackle this problem? And I guess I'm getting to the rhetoric in our own politics here about the free market as an answer to many of our ills. It's not enough. We need these kinds of agreements to to raise us higher in our ethics and our morality in the world. Well, and we also need laws enforced, right? Um, Some of the reasons why the market is not enough to do this, but I do think the market is part of the solution, right? It is not costly in the marketplace, or it's certainly not costly enough to be complicit with forced labor. And that's something that needs to change. There are demands for more disclosure um, from investors. So to the extent that investors are taking an interest in this as inconsistent with what they want a corporation to be doing, um, that can lead to change. There actually is right now in the news another high profile set of issues around forced labor in the Uyghur region of China. Um, We saw big brands try to pull back from that. And that is something that would not have happened previously without demand from investors, consumers, and a greater moral sense that 
this is not something that we as a brand want to be connected to, complicit in. Um, and it's something that we can begin to change the conversation around. So I'm actually encouraged that private brands and actors are taking positions on this in ways that belie the US government's failure to sign and ratify international agreements that essentially ask for the same, ask for an end to forced labor. Are there some resources that you can direct our listeners to, to learn more, to get engaged, take action? Yep, certainly. So um, I'd first start with the original document and the primary source itself, and that's available on the website of the International Labor Organization, um, of which we are a member state. Um, and that will list out the different ILO treaties and protocols and standards, um, as well as information about um, how it is you can be a part of strengthening the global fight against forced labor. So um, I would start there. Another interesting organization for those of us who wear clothes or are interested in fashion, the Fair Labor Association for many years has been an inter um, multi-stakeholder initiative that is working with brands that are interested in doing better throughout their supply chains through tracing and tracking and having grievance mechanisms for workers in factories um, and more recently in agricultural production and farms. So there are ways to educate yourself and learn more um, and potentially intervene by encouraging your elected officials to actually back up some of the strong statements that are anti-trafficking with commitments to participate in legal systems and regimes that clearly state what is impermissible and act accordingly. Professor Erica George, University of Utah, and director of the Tanner Humanities Center. Check tonight's show notes for the links that she mentioned if you'd like to get involved in the fight to end forced labor worldwide. Before we get to our conversation with Vicki Chavez and Joan Gregory about the sanctuary movement, I've got another reflection on Black refractions. This is Ashley Farmer, an educator at the UMFA, here to share about Black refractions, highlights from the Studio Museum in Harlem, on exhibition at the Utah Museum of Fine Arts through April 10th. In this exhibition, you'll find Conspicuous Fraud Series Number 1, Eminence, a painted portrait by Kehinde Wiley that depicts a Black male figure in a dark suit with his hair swirling out around him. When we asked artist Matthew Sketch to select an artwork from the exhibition that really resonated with him, he chose this painting. This is his response. Hi, my name is Matthew Sketch, and I'm an artist from Houston, Texas. As I gaze at Keehand Wiley's Conspicuous Fraud, series number one, Eminence, I look at the face of a stranger, but I find this stranger familiar. I believe we are a culmination of all that has come before us, and what I believe I see depicted in this painting is an image of a man on the tip of a powerful wave. This wave rises up from within with the knowledge and understanding of one's forefathers. So as we move through life, and if we are able to make progress, we are very much moving into unknown territory. We are very much what our ancestors dreamed to be. At least I believe we should try to be. Notice the dark matter seems to emanate from both his head and also wanders very near his heart. Is this a thought? Is this the essence of the man? Is this smoke from an internal fire burning the man slowly from inside out? So the meaning of this dark matter may be left for interpretation, 
but what I see for certain is that this dark matter takes up as much of the canvas as the person does. In this ratio, the dark matter presents an almost overwhelming presence, but the face of the man still seems still with resolve. He is not scared. The man in this painting has a sense of resolve about him. He does not seem uncertain at all in his business suit, and I think it's worth taking a moment to note that this is a well-cut suit for the early 2000s, though we may not see it as such today. I too have felt like a conspicuous fraud at some times in my life. I have wondered if I was capable of doing jobs that I was totally qualified for. It's called imposter's syndrome, and we almost all suffer from it at some point in life. Whenever this feeling has arisen inside of me, I reflect back to the successes that got me to the place where I am now, and I often consider the unsure nature of those actions. I calm myself by acknowledging that I am very much who my ancestors wanted to be, and I am empowered by the understanding that with every move, I both embody and create cultural legacy. To put it very plainly, I believe this is Kehan's depiction of a very human experience, an act of uncertainty and boldness in the same existence, the embodiment of his own cultural legacy. That's artist Matthew Sketch reflecting on Conspicuous Fraud series number one, Eminence, a painting by artist Kahindi Wiley. The artwork is just one of a hundred works by artists of African descent included in Black Refractions, highlights from the Studio Museum in Harlem on view through April 10th at the Utah Museum of Fine Arts. Advanced tickets are required as capacity is limited for everyone's safety. For details and tickets, check tonight's show notes or visit umfa.utah.edu. If you're not quite ready to visit the museum in person, the website offers lots of ways to engage digitally. A highlights tour, virtual presentations with curators and scholars, and a digital toolkit to guide K-12 or university classroom learning. You'll also find a calendar of exhibition-related events, most of which are also virtual. And that's Ashley Farmer, Utah Museum of Fine Arts, with another reflection on Black Refractions. Do check tonight's show notes for a link so you can get your tickets before the exhibit leaves the museum on April 10th. I'm Laura Jones, and this is Radioactive. We'll be right back with Vicki Chavez, who for more than three years has been living in sanctuary at First Unitarian Church of Salt Lake City. If you like your food farm to table and your purchases locally sourced, then listening to KRCL is a natural fit. Your homegrown radio station connects you with the people, organizations, and businesses that make our community unique. Support homegrown and heartfelt radio during Spring Radiothon starting April 10th. Or give today at krcl.org. Support for KRCL comes from the Uncomfortable Truth Podcast. Filmmaker Loki Mulholland and freedom writer Luvon Brown ask questions about race and racism in America. The Uncomfortable Truth is available on all podcast streaming apps. KRCL is powered by listeners like you and local businesses. Spring Radiothon is April 10th through 17th. If you own or manage a business, now is your time to show support for community radio by sponsoring a challenge grant. Challenge grants are tax-deductible donations that encourage listeners to give their support to KRCL and connect your business to our community. To sponsor a challenge grant, email me, Jean with a C, at krcl.org. This is Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists and community builders. I'm Laura Jones. Tamrika Kavtisiashvili and Rashan Leek of the Roundtable Tuesday edition of the show have the night off and will be back next week. Coming up at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! 
Vagabond Radio at 8, Late Night Lowdown at 10.30, Super Sounds at 1 a.m., and don't forget, Brand New Day with John Florence, 6 a.m. weekdays here on KRCL. All of our programming and the radioactive archives may be found online at krcl.org. Just last week, there was a press conference in which First Unitarian Church of Salt Lake City joined with sanctuary leaders in the lawsuit over retaliatory and excessive fines still pending under the Biden administration. We're going to bring you some of that press conference, which features Vicki Chavez, who has been living in sanctuary at First Unitarian Church for the last 38 months. But first, a fresh interview with Vicki Chavez and Joan Gregory, who is director of sanctuary programs at the church. Here's that conversation. Vicki, I remember when we first talked about your situation on the show, and between then and now, so much has happened, but you have been in one place. You've been in quarantine for three plus years. And as we prepare to share this, this press conference that you led last week with movement, sanctuary movement leaders, I just wanted to get a fresh take from you on what that, what that means to you and the growth that you've experienced over those three plus years back when I had to have a translator to talk to you to now you're leading your own press conferences and taking control of the situation. That's been a long journey, correct? Yes, it's a long journey because it's almost 38 months living at the shore with my kids. We can remind Bella came to the shore when she has five months old and now she's three years and a half and she's a big girl now, but she was living in quarantine with me at the shore. It's really hard, but I'm trying to do my best for my kids because I know I need to protect them like mother. And they are the, 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 the principle for my life because I say I can support all this because my kids need me and I can do more for them because I, I need to be strong for them. It's really hard. And the last press conference was a, like, a, like a big challenge for me. And I think we can do more for that. Over the course of three plus years, you've also explored different ways to support yourself financially and you've created Baya Crafters. I just wanted to talk about that a bit because I don't know how many people are aware of the crochet crafts that you have done over the last three plus years, culminating, I think, in perhaps your biggest hit, the Bernie Sanders Mittens character. Um, has that helped you feel like you're in control? Has it helped you have an outlet? Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, Bella Craft uh, is not like a financial for me because I, I love to do crochet because it's like my therapy for me because I have been learning crochet for 38 months. It's my, my time at the shore. So it's really amazing because I love to create dot, dolls. So when we saw the inauguration day with Biden and, and Bernie, the meetings and everything like that, and I say, oh, I can do that. And I try to make one and then the people love it. So we decide to make Bernie's and the people can donate to the shore because people know that I depend from the shore for everything. And, and Bernie is a, a, some help for me. So we love to make Bernie and the people can donate directly to the shore for help my situation living at the shore. Well, and Bea, the name is about your kids, yeah. right? Exactly. Bea means like uh, my, the the... Two first letters for my kids, so that's the reason I create this this Bella crafters. And I create um, my knitting group. We have a knitting group every Saturday at the shore, but with the pandemic, we decided to do it on Zoom. And this is an amazing knitting group because we learned a, a lot 
one of each other and and it's amazing because we laugh we talk and and, and we spend the the amazing time and that helped me a lot too because I'm on that show like that the whole time. Joan Gregory is also on the call with us. Joan is the sanctuary director at First Unitarian Church and this relationship with Vicky is all in with the church. Uh, the church voted to become a sanctuary, part of the sanctuary movement, and then Vicky Chavez entered into the church. But the church recently, as you're going to hear in this press conference that we'll share in a moment, has become part of the lawsuit against the federal government, Joan. Yes, yes, we have. And um, it, it's an important step. Um, we are in uh, solidarity with um, Vicki and all of those who are um, in sanctuary and have been in sanctuary under the Trump administration, and especially those who um, were uh, targeted by the Trump administration for retaliatory fines and egregious fines. Um, at first, up to um, half a million dollars. We're going to hear all about that in the press conference. In fact, we're going to go to the tape here and then finish our fresh conversation on the other side. Thank you. Uh, welcome, everyone. My name is Vicky Chavez, and I am the facilitator for today's press conference. And we are here with the uh, plaintiff people from this press conference, like the sanctuary leader from from the church, Hilda Ramirez from Austin, Texas, uh, Maria Chavalan from Virginia, Edith Espinal from Ohio, and Vicky Chavez from Salt Lake City, Utah. And we have the legal organization for the case, Just Future Cloud, Center for Constitutional Rights, NYU Law Immigrants Rights Clinic, and more people for the Plaintiffs, First Unitarian Church of Salt Lake City, Austin Sanctuary Network, and Free Migration Project. Today, we will hear from a new plaintiff in the civil fines lawsuit, plus the current individual and organizational plaintiffs and attorneys. We will begin with Reverend Tom Goldsmith, Senior Minister at Pierce Unitarian Shore of Salt Lake City, for an announcement. Thank you, thank you. And I'd also like to express a word of thanks to the press for joining us today. Above all, thank you to four courageous women who have lived in sanctuary for many years. They have filed a lawsuit against the Department of Homeland Security and Immigration and Customs Enforcement for their cruel retaliatory policies. In 2019, federal immigration officials sought to punish the outspoken leaders in sanctuary requiring them to report for deportation or face financial ruin. ICE imposed unconscionable fines in the tens of thousands of dollars to punish sanctuary leaders for speaking out. The fines would only destroy their lives. Vicki Chavez and her young daughters have been living in sanctuary at the First Unitarian Church in Salt Lake City for more than three years. During that rather long period of time, my congregation has learned a lot about injustice and the crying need for human dignity for all, for all people. Now, Vicki is not only an exemplary mom, extremely bright, very witty, committed, to giving back to the wider community. She is also our friend. She is our friend 
who has been denied the right to a life of work and play and raising her family and rejoining the community with a kind of freedom that most of us take for granted. And that is why First Unitarian Church feels absolutely compelled to support Vicki and Maria and Edith and Hilda in this struggle for justice. That is why First Unitarian Church has joined the lawsuit as a plaintiff in the case. The past three years have taught us that faith cannot be passive. It must fight alongside those who seek to right the tyranny of injustice. Jesus made it clear that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves with no boundaries placed on how far to extend this neighborly policy. He also provided a kind of litmus test for what it means to please God. And there were three very obvious uh, points to this test. One, giving food to the hungry. Two, drink to the thirsty. And third, what many in our nation conveniently try to forget, the third point was welcoming the stranger. Our church offered sanctuary as a sacred obligation. We joined the lawsuit as advocates for human rights. Thank you. Thank you, Tom Goldsmith. Thank you so much. And it was an act of faith for the First Unitarian Church to offer sanctuary to me and my daughters and an act of faith for me to accept. I had been fighting for almost 38 months to keep my daughter safe, and the First Unitarian Church in Salt Lake City has been our home, a safe place for us. These have not been easy months for me, but I have faith that with the help of the Biden administration, we will be free. I will continue to raise my voice to fight against this broken immigration system that has affected and separated so many families in this country. I am a refugee, but thanks to God and the church, I can be with my daughters without being separated from them. We are calling on the Biden administration to grant a state of removal from sanctuary leaders. We are calling on the Biden administration to drop the fines. We are calling on the Biden administration to hold local ICE offices accountable, and we are calling on the Biden administration to end the retaliation toward some from sanctuary leaders. And now we will hear from the other plaintiffs in the lawsuit, Maria Chavalatsud from Virginia. Maria, you have three minutes. Go ahead. Eh, me llamo Maria Chavalatsud, soy Maya Cacchiquel. Me encuentro en santuario aquí en la Iglesia Metodista en Wesley Memorial, aquí en Charlottesville, Virginia. Tomé santuario en el año 2018. Y ya estamos en el 2021. And right now, we're actually in 2021. It's been two years. I am a native of this continent. We love, respect, share our Mother Earth. The earth is of God. And I arrived this sanctuary for protection, but I'm also attacked. 
Stephen, because Stephen Miller and Trump appear in my dreams and they want to attack my heart. I have to fight to wake up every day from those nightmares. And I am told that I have to say the name of God three times so those so I'm able to wake up. I wake up sh shivering, my heart racing. I ask for these fines to end. No one else should go through these fears that I go through. This annihilation of this civil fines. I demand that. I asked President Biden, you are the current president. I give, you have the power. Make sure that the papers are signed for freedom of our sanctuary, be it as soon as possible. Sign the protection document so we no longer suffer the, pa the terror at the hands of ICE when leaving sanctuary. I, number two, I asked the president who has the powers to annul that letter that has been issued by ICE, previously influenced by the terrifying decisions that Trump made together with Stephen Miller. I want my life in freedom without fear, without persecution, today and always. Justice is my human right. I love my land and I share it with you without any limits at no cost for more than 500 years. No more terror, please. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Maria. And now we will hear from Edith Espinal from Ohio. Hola, buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Edith. Hello, good afternoon. My name is Edith Espinal. I have been living, I was living in the sanctuary uh, for 235 days. Thank God I was able to seek my freedom in February 2021. And now I can continue fighting for my case with my family from my own home here in Columbus, Ohio. However, I still fear that I still have the fines issued to me by the former President Trump. I find these fines to be unjust. Some people that are currently in sanctuary and left sanctuary are still facing the paying these fines. We ask the administration Biden and Harris to remove these civil fines and to not continue pursuing, pursuing, well, stop and the civil rights, civil fines to no longer charge us this to the four of us. We are facing the civil fines because we raised our voices and we want them to lift these civil fines as mothers, as women of faith. We will not stop fighting to see until we see our fam family to be free. And to my colleagues like Hilda, Maria, 
and others are free. We will not stop fighting until this administration knows that we will continue fighting. And we will see each other someday in person. Thank you. Thank you so much, Edith, for your powerful words. And now we will hear from Hilda Ramirez from Austin in Austin, Texas. Gracias, Vicky. Thank you, everyone, for joining today. My name is Hilda Ramirez. I am from Guatemala. I am an indigenous woman. I came here to the United States around 2014, August 14th. And I have been in a year in sanctuary with my son. And I entered sanctuary under Obama's administration. It was difficult for me. And I had to endure a lot of things. And I have, I still continue being sanctuary. I continued under Trump's administration. I have faced civil fines, immigration threats. And my son has also received fines. And we are fighting for these fines to be lifted. We, however, continue fighting and we know that there's a new administration and we continue waiting. And ICE continues to do the same things that they've, they've, they have been doing, torturing people. I am sad and worried that we continue to be threatened tortured while we face all these fines, fines that we cannot pay. Please help us so this ends. So this injustices by immigration ICE are ended so we can finally be free. They have denied our stay. I've received a denial twice, my stay of removal application, but I will not Stop fighting along with my son. And yes, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Hilda. Thank you for being so strong. Thank you for being an excellent mother. And I know your son is very proud of you and me too. And now we will hear from Peggy Morton from Austin Sanctuary Network. Thank you, Vicky. So obviously no one speaks better about the need to end these egregious fines than Ilda, Maria, Vicky, and Adith. As allies, as people of faith, we are called to love our neighbors. I'm Peggy Morton, chair of the board of directors of Austin Sanctuary Network. I first met Ilda and her then eight-year-old son Yvonne inside the for-profit Carnes City Family Detention Center, months before Ilda was released wearing a for-profit ankle monitor after Yvonne turned nine years old inside that prison. Members of Austin Houses of Worship and others started forming our coalition of 25 congregations and social justice groups in 2015 because our faith calls us to welcome the foreigner, not to deport nor assault them with fines. We respect their worth and dignity 
and use nonviolent civil disobedience with our religious freedom granted by the Constitution. We embrace an ongoing, responsible pursuit of truth while our government is digging a hole for itself by keeping these fines hanging over our sanctuary leaders' heads. President Biden, Secretary Mayorkas, and Congress must end its ongoing racist immigration system and stop putting profit over people. Ilda Sonny Bond had his first birthday party ever when he turned 10 years old while taking sanctuary at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church of Austin. And he'll turn 15 in two weeks after seven years of heinous treatment at the hands of our government. He's watching what they're doing to his mom too. And he says he will never be able to forget it. May the great spirit, mystery, God of many names guide all of us to work in solidarity to free immigrant suffering in the isolation of sanctuary and awaken our government from slumber. May it be so. Thank you so much, Peggy, Morton, Hilda, we are here with you, okay? And now we will hear from three Migration Project represented by David Benion. Thank you, Vicki, and to everyone uh, who's joined us today. My name is David Benion. I'm the Executive Director of Free Migration Project, a nonprofit organization based in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm also uh, the lawyer for Vicki Chavez in her civil fines defense. Uh, Free Migration Project is also one of the organizational plaintiffs in this lawsuit. For the last few years, I've had the privilege of working with the sanctuary leaders, their host churches, and the community members and organizations who are supporting the sanctuary leaders. These leaders have shown incredible courage and persistence by standing up to ICE to protect themselves, their families, and their community. Because these leaders spoke out, the Trump administration took the extraordinary measure of targeting them and a small number of other sanctuary leaders with enormous civil fines of up to $500,000. We know from Freedom of Information Act documents released in another federal case that Stephen Miller himself was personally involved in the civil fines program that ICE developed and weaponized against the sanctuary leaders. His hope was to use money from the civil fines to help build the border wall. This was an evil plan. We expected that based on President Biden's announcement right at the start of his presidency, that the federal government would take a new, more welcoming approach toward immigrants in the United States. We thought that the Biden administration would quickly drop these egregious civil fines. Yet, here we are over two months into the Biden presidency and ICE is still pursuing these fines. Some of the sanctuary leaders are still living in their sanctuary churches 
out of fear of arrest and deportation by ICE. At least one of the local ICE offices has refused to apply the new enforcement priorities guidance to the sanctuary leader under that office's jurisdiction. We know that it's not that the administration doesn't know about the civil fines uh, or the sanctuary leaders who are still fighting for protection from ICE because the sanctuary leaders began advocating with the Biden campaign last summer. Then after the election in November, the sanctuary leaders reached out and educated the Biden transition team. And since January 20th, they've been asking for protection every day. President Biden, his immigration advisors, and the people he appointed to manage the immigration agencies have all ignored these requests for help. A few Democrats in Congress have said nice things. They wrote a letter, but they have not delivered results for the sanctuary leaders targeted by these fines or the ones who are still trapped in their sanctuary churches. And we think it's important that the public know and understand how the Biden administration's words about adopting a welcoming policy for immigrants have not matched its actions. Thank you. Thank you so much, David Benyon. And finally, we will hear from our attorneys at NYU Law Immigrant Rights Clinic, Elena and Katie. Thank you. First Unitarian, a church with a long history of living its values through social justice, has never been content to stand by as the government targets Ms. Chavez and other immigrants in sanctuary. As all of our speakers today so powerfully laid out, offering sanctuary is an act of faith, part of fulfilling God's divine mandate to welcome the stranger. From fundraising for legal fees, to planning birthday parties for Ms. Chavez's daughters, to contributing over 45,000 volunteer hours for round-the-clock security support. The church has been there for the Chavez family, just as the Chavez family has become an integral part of the church community. A testament to their commitment to the Chavez family and the sanctuary movement, First Unitarian's congregation voted unanimously to take this next step in the fight. The church's joining of the lawsuit only underscores how the act of sanctuary is fundamentally an act of faith, something First Unitarian has described as a sacred duty. When the government goes after sanctuary leaders, it hurts the entire congregation and prevents them from exercising their core beliefs in welcoming the stranger. It's unconstitutional for the government to target those who take refuge in churches for excessive fines. And this act harms the very places of worship who feel called to protect people from the harm of unjust laws. President Biden promised to undo many of the Trump administration's most unjust immigration policies. And he made it clear from the start that immigration would be at the forefront of his agenda. What's more, President Biden is a man of faith and has been open about how his religious convictions have helped him through painful periods in his own life. Now, President Biden has a choice to make. Will his administration defend the sanctuary fines policy and ignore the leader's requests for stays of removal? allowing the unjust and unconstitutional policies of the Trump administration to become the status quo? Or will they begin the process of doing right by the sanctuary leaders by abandoning the fines and allowing them to rejoin their communities in freedom? Thank you. Thank you, Elena and Katie. And I want to say thank you to Tom Goldsmith from Pierce Unitarian Church and all the members who 
support my family and my kids. And thank you for doing this, not just for me, for Hilda, for Maria, and for Edith, and for the other people who have received fines. This is unfair, but thank you so much. And that is the press conference from last week led by one of our guests this hour, Vicky Chavez, who's been living in sanctuary at First Unitarian Church in Salt Lake City for more than three years. There was a Q&A with reporters to follow what we shared, and I'll put a link in the show notes if you'd like to check out that portion of the press conference for yourself. But uh, now we return to my conversation with Joan Gregory of First Unitarian and Vicky Chavez living in sanctuary at the church for the last 38 months. Vicky, does it feel like you're you're close to leaving sanctuary under a new presidential administration or is the fight for some security in your situation ongoing, Vicky? Yeah, we know that with a new administration everything can be different for the whole family who are living in sanctuary because you know Lara, we have like a uh, like uh, around 40 or 50 family, family living at the shore, mother with their kids and everything like that. And we know with the new administration, everything can be different because Biden came to another stuff in her mind. So now we're trying to to request like uh, something. We are working in something legal because I want to leave the shore with a paper. They say, oh, Vicky's safe to leave the shore because my kids are with me and I need to protect them for everything. You want some assurance if you do leave sanctuary because ICE, as we heard in the press conference, continues to press on these fines and on deportations. Right, Vicky? Exactly. Yeah. ICE wants to do like uh, they don't want to follow the rules for the new administration, but we are trying to do everything, fighting, fighting, because this is unfair for the people, immigrants who live in this country. Joan Gregory, again, Sanctuary Director for First Unitarian Church, part of this last three and a half years, is a huge volunteer effort to keep Vicky safe, but to keep the cert- the church secure. So you have had volunteers around the clock for three plus years to act as witnesses and security, correct? Uh, that is correct. And um, they have put in tens of thousands of hours um, uh, staffing sanctuary and also um, just being there for um, companionship um, and for uh, giving Vicky a little time to, um, to, to be with herself and, uh, and, and for the kids to have someone else to play with and, um, and learn with. Uh, there's been uh, lots of interaction and uh, people in the congregation and outside the congregation have volunteered uh, to help and have gotten to know um, Vicki and the girls um, in a special way. On Facebook, there is a group, Freedom for Vicki. Uh, Team Vicki 3 is the actual handle on Facebook. We'll put a link in tonight's show notes. But on it, there is a way for folks to participate and help in this call uh, in support of sanctuary leaders, Joan. And I'm curious if you could help us with that. Uh, Yes. So um, there is an action um, that you can take. It's in support um, of a letter that was written by Representative Joaquin Castro in Texas and um, 29 other members of Congress 
um, appealed directly to President Biden in this letter, asking him to sign private bills uh, for those in sanctuary when these bills come to his desk, as well as asking um, for stays of removal to be granted and have sanctuary, um, people in sanctuary have their deportation orders lifted. And um, we are um, asking folks to call these uh, Congress people now. They, they sent a letter and they signed a letter, but they sent it um, back in January. Um, and uh, now it is March and it, we need them to call President Biden, call Secretary Mayorkas, Secretary of uh, Department of Homeland Security. Um, so the action for people um, in the community is to contact the congressmen and, and congresswomen um, who signed the Castro letter and ask them to get in touch with President Biden and the Secretary Mayorkas. And again, we'll put links in the show notes to this uh, Facebook post on Freedom for Vicky that has very specific uh, details that you can pull from in making those calls, as well as phone numbers for every one of those lawmakers back in Congress to make your own calls, folks. But Vicki, what would be your 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 message to folks listening today about how they can support you or better understand what you've been going through caught up in the broken immigration system that we have here in America? Uh Yes, uh, people need to know that the family who are living at the shore, we took the decision to take sanctuary because we don't want to be separate for our kids. And they need to know that we are here by necessity because we have kids, right? And we don't want to be separate from the kids or we don't know how the kids can eat with our moms in this country. And I want to ask the people if they can make a call and they can follow the rules who we are going to post in Facebook and they say they want to support the family uh, living at the shore or I want to support Vicky Chavez because she's living with her two daughters at the shore and, and I'm going to appreciate everything they can do for me because this administration needs to hear from the community who support the immigrants or who support the family who are living on the, on the shore right now. Well, Vicki, you've been living in sanctuary for the last three plus years, and that's nowhere near freedom. So I'm guessing it is tantalizingly close. What is it that you want to do once you leave First Unitarian? I have a lot of plans right now. I want to back to the college because I have my degree in Honduras, but it's like a, I, I, I can use it here in the United States, right? And I want to learn English very well because I want to help the people who can speak English, right? Like, um, uh, like uh, doing interpreter or something like that, because we know a lot of people have that are very hard for learning English. For me, it was really hard because when I came to the shore, nobody speak Spanish. And, and I need to find a way how to, how to communicate with my, my, my shores. And I say, now what can I do? So I have been learning English for three years and I want to learn pretty well English. So I want to go to the college for that. And I want to, to have my GED, my college degree, because I want to be like a counselor because I love the numbers and, and I want to do a lot. And, and, and my kids, my kids want to, 
to do like a, a, a class for swimming or they want to run and they want to do a last or did and I want to to give my kids the, the better they deserve because they are a very, very, very special kids. Vicky Chavez, thank you so much for being willing to uh, add to the conversation around this press conference you already held and speak to radioactive listeners. We really appreciate that. Thank you, Lara, for inviting me in. And thanks for the people who are listening this this interview today. And Joan Gregory, give us some links where folks can learn more, support the work of First Unitarian Church in the sanctuary movement. So um, one of the ways that that people can uh, support us is um, uh, via contributions, um, donations. We have a um, a sanctuary family fund and a sanctuary uh, defense fund. Um, those are available on our website, which is um, slcuu.org to donate, add slash donate uh, to that link. And, um, and it will take you to a, um, a, a page where you can click here to donate and choose the fund that you want to donate to. The family fund goes to support um, Vicky's uh, and, the, and the girls needs um, food, medical, dental, um, education, all of those needs. The legal fund goes to help support um, legal costs. And um, Vicky also has one other um, action that is um, available. There is a, a petition that people can sign. And the link, link to that is tinyurl.com slash Biden Sanctuary Petition, all one word. Great. We will put all of that in tonight's show notes. And I also know there's one other link, Vicki, that I want to leave people with, and it's where they can pick up your crocheted creations, including the Bernie Sanders mittens doll. And what is your Facebook page where folks can check that out? I have my Facebook page, is Bea Craft. B-E-Y-A-C-R-A-F-C. And they can see all the projects I, I have been doing in the shore. And if they want to have a Bernie doll, they need to write. They need to go to the First Unitarian Shore page and they can make the donation directly into the shore and they can put, oh, I want a Bernie doll. And then we can make one from, from the people who really, really, really want to have my Bernie doll. <laughs> well, Vicki, full disclosure, I picked one of those up early. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, I love to make my Bernie doll. They take me like a four or five hours for May one, and, and I really love to create Bernie dolls. And I think I already sent one to him, so maybe we have that. I have the good luck for delivering Bernie doll to Bernie Sanders in person. Well, I think I've say, say this every time, but hopefully the next time we speak, it will be in person because you are no longer in sanctuary. You are free. Thank you, Vicki. Yes. yes, I'll be there when I can. And I hope my English can be better for, for, for soon. <laughs> and that's our show. My thanks to Vicki Chavez, Joan Gregory, Erica George, and everyone else you heard on the show this evening. I'm Laura Jones, radioactive executive producer. Associate producer is Billy Palmer, but we can't do this show at all without you. Radiothon is just around the corner. 
You can find details about Radiothon and how you can support the station, as well as our show archives on our website, krcl.org. Radioactive is a production of Listener's Community Radio of Utah. Getting up to good trouble since 1979. Have a great night, and thank you for listening.